Before we get underway tonight, we wanted to give a loving shout out and tribute to a beloved member of the Managing Madrid family, Anas Alasawi, a longtime patron of our show who passed away recently after losing a battle to cancer, but not before inspiring a ton of people and leaving a positive impact on those he left behind. I do remember nearly crossing paths with Anas, who was at the preseason game against Atletico in New Jersey, and just trying to organize a quick meetup with him, but the logistics of getting around in that stadium on a very tight time crunch in between the game and the pressers made it really difficult. So unfortunately, because of that, I never got to meet Anas, which I regret. But from what I've heard of him and the interactions I had with him, he seemed like an amazing person. I'd like to read a tribute to Anas sent in by one of his closest friends, Anthony Lombardi, who is also a patron of the show. So Anthony says, Anas was a great friend who would always light up any situation he was put in. He would talk Real Madrid all day, every day, and it is what gave us the most joy. His passion for Real Madrid surpassed everything. Late last year, he was diagnosed with Ewing's sarcoma, a cancer in the bone, and fought it bravely up until October 30th. He posted his journey on TikTok under Fasa Chemo and got a following of over 500,000 followers just joking around and bringing light to his situation. He was able to make so many positives out of something that was not positive. He loved listening to Managing Madrid with me and loved the community it brought. When he saw Real Madrid play a friendly against Atletico Madrid, he tried so hard to find Keon there. Once we realized he was at the game, his passion for the game was unlike any other, and may he rest in peace. So tonight, we're sending lots of love to Anas's family, to Anthony, and we hope Anas has a good on the other side. And with that perspective in hand, just remember that football is a silly thing. And if you were inspired by NASA's story, hold your loved ones tight. And remember, our moments on this earth are fleeting. Make your life count and fill it with love. Alright, we are here on a Saturday night about two hours after Real Madrid left the field against Osasuna and right now the team is probably sitting somewhere not having fun, either in their hotel rooms or the airport or something. It does not look like they're going home tonight. It does not look like anyone had fun tonight nor wanted to be there. Zidane said after the game that the game should never have happened and he's right, but he's also right in saying that that's not an excuse for Real Madrid playing the way they did today. And just how bad is it? Do you ask? Well, it's not the worst game ever, given that they didn't lose. They didn't get hammered out of any major competition or anything. But it is bad enough to state that this was statistically the worst performance from an offensive curation standpoint since February of 2015. And I don't know, maybe that's not why people are even upset about this. Maybe they're just upset because 2021 is off to a rocky start. And some white fluff falling from the sky on a grass field is the least of our problems. But fans watch Real Madrid for an escape. And it's just that they wanted an escape today and they didn't get it. They, the team gave us no reason to really plug in and breathe in the aura of a nice, enjoyable football game. And I think that would have been nice to see. So joining me, Keon Sobani, on a Saturday night are Om Arvind and Matt Wiltsey. Gentlemen, how you doing? Hey, Keon. Um, yeah, doing all right. I mean, this was 
I mean, I know Ohm agrees with me and you agree with me because we were talking about it on Slack, but probably one of the most boring games uh, of Real Madrid I've, we've watched in a very long time. Um, I mean, even I, I thought there were some pretty bad games under Solari uh, and Zidane's when he came back with those 11 games, like there were some mm. really poor games then, but this one still beats all of those. And it was just, it was really tough to watch. And you, you made the point there that like, it's, it's, you, you go to watch Real Madrid to kind of escape. And even more than that, like, I think, yes, Real Madrid is the most demanding club in the world and we demand trophies and so on and so forth. But I think at the end of the day, like fans, especially in this current, we call it a transition period even though we haven't really started any transition is we look, you look for like progression. You look for hope. You want to see aesthetically pleasing football. You want to see the team playing well, or you want to see something develop. And we haven't really seen any of that this year. It's almost like we regressed last year. We, we obviously saw the defensive um, defensive improvement. And then this year we said, Every uh, prior to the season, we, we got asked what what does Zidane need to do to take this team to the next level, and every single we answered that the same. All of us, it was he needs to learn how to beat low blocks, and he needs to integrate some of these. And uh, obviously, um, he needs to integrate some of these other players like Hazard, Odegaard, Jovic, and create better goal scoring opportunities. We've been saying that at nauseum, and yet it's still still the same issue. So. Um, I know I kind of went on a rant there, but <laughs> Ohm, uh, how are you doing? Well, I could be better, that's for sure. The one thing with this game is, like, usually when Real Madrid play badly, I've talked about this before, it's like, there's usually, like, a comedic element to it. Like, we play badly because, you know, there's these really stupid misplaced passes, or someone's launching, you know, a shot 50 yards over the bar, or, like, these just unbelievable breakdown defensively that you just can't explain like Courtois like misplacing a pass or something like that something that like you know not that I'm exactly enjoying but I can't help but chuckle at it because it's like just so bizarre (laughs) we had a couple of those moments like Mendy like a really just unbelievable (laughs) pass like nowhere near his guy like towards the end of the game that launched uh, an opposition counterattack that right-footed shot he took so there, there were some moments like that but there just wasn't much happening in this game right like good or bad in the sense that like it was just uneventful so that like usually I can always rely on the fact that like I'm laughing you know in, instead of crying when Real Madrid don't play well because there's some element like that but this game was just I just couldn't get into it like the first 15 minutes I was barely paying attention I had to go back and look at it and I wish I didn't because there literally nothing happened and I didn't learn anything. Um, yeah, it was just one of those games, definitely one of the most boring I've ever had to sit through. And the worst thing about this is like, usually in previous defeats, draws, you could always like find some counter argument, play some kind of devil's advocate to say, maybe we did deserve to win if something here happened. And just today, there's just no case to be made that we deserve to get the three points, right? I think draw was actually the best case scenario for us from our performance. And if you were to do this kind of devil's advocate thing, I think the stronger case is to say that Osasuna maybe could have nicked it and gone 1-0 up in that sense. So, yeah, not a great game and not, not a good one to sit through. But I, I, I'm hoping it'll be a little bit more fun to talk about with you guys. 
Yeah, I was going to say when you were talking about comedic errors and not being entertained, I was like, man, this you know it's a bad game where even a right-footed... When Men, when Mendy intercepts a pass to Cruz to take a, a lower percentage right-footed slice, if that doesn't tickle Omar, then I don't know what does. But I just I agree. I think it was the vibe. The vibe was a little bit off to me. I bet you it had to do with... And look, we can talk about the tactical issues, and and I don't even think Osasuna were that good, but I realize that that's a terribly unfair thing to say because if any team did deserve to come away with this, as you said, it may have been Osasuna with the Nick. But I just think Real Madrid left them off the hook so easily, and I, you know, there were definitely things to exploit. They didn't. We'll get to, but I think we start here. To me, the most logical place to actually start is actually to talk about the weather, because. And I know maybe people are rolling their eyes at home, be like, this is not a problem. The problem was not the snow. And I agree with you. But I just think we should, like, it, let's just let's just play this scenario out in our head. And just to explain maybe the energy being off, the energy being low, uneventful, as you said. There are games where Real Madrid play much worse than this. But we, have, we at least can, like, there's things that keep us hooked somehow, you know? Whether it's, like, just the formation is all out of whack. Players are in the weirdest positions. Things are happening like this. There's there's waves of attacks at some point. Nothing happened in this game. Like this was just from start to finish, uneventful. Ironically, somehow there's a lot to talk about because that's just our nature. We find things to talk about. But the snow. So the the way this kind of went down, the, uh, part of the reason why we we weren't sure if this game was going to go ahead or not. Well, the Atletico and Athletic game in Madrid was postponed. Um, and that's because Madrid is Madrid is a gong show. And look, like a Canadian, a Canadian looking at this, you have to understand also in a lot of ways is like, yeah, that that's what happens. Snow, like that's you guys are freaking out over what? Um, the difference is in Canada, like we prepared for it every day. So like the whole city and the infrastructure infrastructure is prepared for snow. So like we have snow blowers and we have. Uh, we have the whole cities like they they see it coming. They're they're ready to go. Everything is plowed like instantly almost. Um, the snows in Madrid, and especially the, the the way it did, it's just no one no one has a preparation for it. It's not built to handle that kind of stuff. So it's a little bit more dramatic. Um, so I'm I'm sympathetic of that part as a, as a Canadian. But they they're on the runway. The the plane is on the runway, and they have to defrost the thing. They don't even know if they're going to be able to take off. They forced to take off, which, by the way, I don't know if they're that pressed to play this game if this wasn't a COVID situation because they just, there's too many things to make up for right now. There's too much ground to make up. There's already games in hand. Uh, You've already fallen behind. You've started the season late. There's barely been a break. To take more break, it's just like you don't want to start playing that game. I don't even know what's going to happen with the Euros this summer, but you're already like, there's like barely any break. And so like to, to have to make up ground again later in the season, no one wants to do that. So that's, I think, part of the reason why this had to go ahead. And I'm not saying that it had to go ahead. I'm just saying that that's the way that this is being looked at. So they take off and they land in Pamplona and then the pitch is um, not great. And so they're playing. And I don't know if you guys noticed, but during the entire broadcast, anytime there was like a zoom in on the faces, they looked so uncomfortable and not having fun at all like it's just everyone is like squinting their eyes trying like to get the snow not to hit their face or like they don't really it it didn't look like a fun thing to play in 
And so I just, I, it doesn't explain the poor performance. It, I'm just saying that it didn't, it didn't, um, what's the word? I, I guess it just, to me, it contributed to their low energy. Again, no excuses. I, I don't think there are any excuses. I think this was a bad performance. I just, I just wondering, like, just to get out of the way, how much do you guys think that actually played a factor in this? So I don't, I, I obviously have sympathy for the fact that, I mean, that plane should not have, uh, should not have left the airport in my opinion like that that was extremely dangerous the fact that La Liga allowed that was just ridiculous I mean I don't I don't care what the scheduling conflicts are like that that was dangerous um, so that 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 I do like if, if that's Zidane's complaint then okay I'm, I'm fine with that but he was directly asked after the game whether or not uh, the, the plane was his complaint but he said the field um, at least that's what Ewan wrote in in the managing Madrid um, post game quotes after after the fact. And I I get it. The field was icy. There was snow. Like it's it's not ideal. But there's no reason that Osasuna should create more high quality chances than we did. I mean, their xG was higher than ours. We we produced nothing. Like that's there's no excuse for that. And there's just they're both like Cruz said after the match. Both teams had to play on that pitch. So I I do think the whether the snow had a big impact on how we played. I think there's, to put it this way, I think there's an excuse to not play the best game ever. But there's no excuse for not outperforming a relegation side. I mean, it's as simple as that. And, you know, before I go back to that, just quickly in regard to, like, this idea of, you know, not delaying this game because of the schedule and stuff. Like, I think that points to the larger issue about the schedule itself, right? We knew no, we knew this was going to happen in the sense that we knew there will be schedule crunches, right? And possibly even having to delay games because of COVID-19 issues. And yet all the decision makers involved, right, with everyone knowing this said, who cares? Let's play a normal schedule anyway with the, the Euros on the horizon, the World Cup coming with no rest that going to be there for the, for the players. And, right, it was purely monetary, right? Like, we, we need our money. Um, who cares about player welfare? They're going to play through this. They're going to play two games um, – two games uh a game per every two days right and with every sports scientist in the world saying like this is bad right like it's and guess what we go ahead with it anyway and this is merely kind of reflective of that situation right where you have another unexpected extraneous factor right that makes you sit and say even though it's dangerous for the plane to take off even though the conditions on the pitch are going to be shit well, we have to go ahead because we have to plow through this ridiculous schedule. And it's not just with football, honestly. It's with other sports, right? With the NBA, in my opinion, you know, not having reduced the season enough. So just, right, that, there's my quick rant on, like, you know, the complete disregard for player welfare. And you're trying to ram home this ridiculously packed schedule, which everyone knew was a bad idea. And yet we went forward with it anyway. And these are going to be some of the consequences for that. So, you know, I'm just thankful that they're everyone was okay the plane was able to take off fine but the fact that you're forced into this kind of thinking i think is pretty damning and when we're talking about like a lack of excuses i don't think there's any excuse for the way you know we've scheduled the season thus far so i got that out of the way you know in regard to the pitch conditions affecting the play i do think it negatively impacted us quite a bit again no excuse for not being able to win this game now perform the other side but there, there is some in- impact, and I do understand why Zidane, directly after a really poor performance, is furious with, you know, how that impacted the way his team played. I think, you know, and this is what all, you know, 
quote-unquote weaker teams do with their pitch, right? But with the snow, to me, it seemed pretty deliberate. The Osasuna uh, ground staff, who, you know, did a wonderful job to even clear the pitch anyway, but they quite deliberately left, you know, quite a bit of snow in areas in front of the box and then to the sides of it, right? So the primary, you know, kind of way for, for a team to access zone 14 was kind of messed up a little bit, right? And then the outside areas of the box where Real Madrid would like to cross the ball, you know, was kind of messed up. And Osasuna did it on both sides, right? Because they knew they'd have to play on, you know, either side for the half. And that would have affected them as well. But as a team who probably was a lot more comfortable with the draw, right? Who, who we knew was going to play more defensive that suits them a lot more. And they'd be, I think, more than happy to kind of take away their own offensive capabilities a little bit if it limited Real Madrid's. And I do think that you could see, especially when Hazard and Asensio were trying to receive in those types of inward, inverted positions that, you know, some of the passes weren't coming off, some of the touches weren't off. You know, there was maybe thought, like some kind of chatter about Hazard not looking 100%. That's why maybe the touches were off. I thought he looked pretty sharp. And it was it just wasn't coming off because like there was snow packed in all the dangerous areas that a team would normally like to access. So I I will give Zidane that. You know, having said that, like still a really bad performance. And I'll after this I'll go ahead and critique everything that that was wrong. But I am sympathetic to that fact, and I I think it was honestly part of Osasuna's tactical strategy to kind of design a pitch that way because I don't see any other way that the center of the pitch is basically completely clean, right? Like, you know, you could barely see a speck of snow. And then as soon as you start to get close to the box, suddenly it's covered all over. So I, I mean, we could just bring up the Zidane quotes because we were talking about like all these things he's saying. I think it would be useful for the listeners to actually know what he said verbatim. And, um, and yeah, just being in that watching the press conference tonight i i haven't seen him be that irritated in a long time like he looked like his tone and like kind of his voice was like kind of he was short but he was also like you could feel the rage in his voice it was kind of shaky if that makes sense so um here are the quotes the relevant ones he said of the game it was bad 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 we did what we could on the pitch this wasn't a football game. The conditions were what they were, and that's that. I'm telling you our feeling after these two days. Who knows when we'll return, but that's football. Um, well, no, that wasn't a football match today, but we have to forget about this and think about our game on Wednesday. He was asked, um, and he was asked if the game should have been postponed. And very short. He didn't ex- explain anything or go into detail. He just said, of course, yes. And um, And then he was asked whether or not you know, like what affected the team more, the pitch or the four-hour wait on the runway the night before? And he said the pitch, which, by the way, four hours on a plane on a runway is not fun. I've experienced, I don't know if I've experienced quite four hours, but I've experienced like three hours. And it's not not fun. Like you can watch like a couple movies and you're still on the runway and you haven't even taken off yet. It's not a great feeling. And um, that, that, that shit's tiring, man. But when he went, so I want to know you guys' thoughts on this. When Zidane says, um, we did what we could on the pitch. Agree or disagree? We're playing this game a little early tonight. Agree or disagree? We did what we could on the pitch. Uh, I mean, I guess I agree, but I, I or maybe I disagree because I, I still feel like the team uh, had the ability and had the options on the bench as well 
to create more and to be more dangerous in in around yes it was icy but i think they could have done more to create uh better goal scoring opportunities in and around the box uh i i disagree i think and i guess this will take us straight into the discussion so i'll try to keep it shorter in the sense that like i agree that in our attempts to make that box entry we did what we could but the larger issue is that there were barely any attempts at all right like when we talk about the lack of action part of it is down to the fact that i just think the volume of that final third action and any kind of penetrative action was just so slow laborious and nothing was really going on you know and and i actually in that first half thought we were doing some decent things right to get hazard essential in positions you know get the fullback speed on the flanks it just wasn't happening very often and when we did it was it was difficult for it to come out so come off sorry so in in, in that kind of latter sense i i kind of see what zidane is saying but i think we i think we could have just hammered them a lot more right in this type of situation where efficiency is going to be an issue for whatever reason you just have to go for volume and considering that we had 70 percent possession right the, having the ball was not an issue i think we did a really poor job of of trying to create d- dangerous scenarios and i'm not sure there's actually that much of an excuse for it i think if we had tried you know to to attack the box you know again and again and kept failing and kept failing and kept failing I would get it a bit more, but we hardly even attack the box at all. And that's why I, I essentially disagree with that statement. Yeah, I think it was weird. Like, to me, this game was really weird because I didn't... <clears throat> it was just bad in the sense that it wasn't fun to watch and they did nothing offensively. It was also not terrible. And I know, like, what what the hell is that measuring stick? It wasn't terrible. It was bad. But some of the... Like, because you mentioned, Noam, like, Hazard in this game who wasn't bad and his touches were nice. I thought Asensio was fine too. And I thought like some of the attacking kind of synergy and the passing was was fine. There was nothing, not necessarily things to complain about in the buildup itself, but it's like that final hurdle. So when I said earlier in the podcast that I think Osasuna could have been taken advantage of and I don't think they were that great, it's because, so they gave a lot of space on the wings. They didn't, they chose not to press Real Madrid high, which we'll get to. So they, they were a bit of a lower block they allowed basically Mendy and Vasquez to live in the final third. They allowed Hazard and Asensio to get on the ball in really good positions. But then that final, like once like Mendy and Vasquez get the ball on the outside or or somebody gets on the outside or in the half space, because that's those four, like so Hazard, Mendy, and Vasquez and Asensio, between those four, I thought Real Madrid occupied pretty good places, spots in the half spaces and the wings. But when they got there, it was something was missing whether it was the presence in the box or attacking the box or just the cutbacks were defended well by Osasuna if Osasuna didn't defend the build up well they they defended the crosses and the cutbacks well so i think that's where it kind of got weird so Vasquez eight crosses uh none of them hit their target Cruz six crosses only one of them hit their target Mendy five crosses only one of them hit their target actually some of his cutbacks were good we're talking about since we we brought up comedic things in the beginning of the game. Mendy hit a cross, and I literally didn't know where the ball went. Like it just went off the screen. I wasn't sure if it went out for a goal kick, if it went out for throw in, and then like later in the play, the camera goes and like it's a throw in on the other side. It was just weird. Like he did good to get it past his man, and then he just just belts it into the sky, and it goes on the other side of the field. So. 
Vasquez eight, Kroos six, Mendy five, Modric three, Asensio three, Yusko two, Casemiro one, Benzema one. And that's 28, nine crosses. Of those 29 crosses, three of them successfully hit their target. And I just think like they didn't have that central presence. And Benzema, another poor game from him, second consecutive game where he's not he's not able to get anything going offensively. I just think Real Madrid needed more in the middle. And maybe that goes back to your point, Oma, about the snow being prevalent in certain areas of the pitch. But I think if anything got me excited in this game about like what might happen offensively, it was through Hazard or Asensio cutting into the half space, which was also when I defended well. But some of those like one-two sequences at least got them in the box into decent positions. It's just that like they needed more of a presence centrally, I find, whether it was a target to hit those crosses. But if, if not that, at least some penetration in the middle. Um, but again, I think credit to Osasuna because they actually defended those spaces as well. Yeah, and where I get frustrated is it hasn't just been a, a, a game in the snowy ice where this has been the problem, though. This has been the problem nearly yeah. every game we play against a lower or a team that plays in a deep block. Alaves, Cadiz, Elche, whoever it may be, there we we haven't been able to beat them. We haven't been able to create goal scoring opportunities. So I just I don't <clears throat> buy it that it's just like when Sedan tries to blame the field. I just I don't buy it. Like it's just it's not good enough. And I think the fact that this continues time and time again, like we know what's going to come. We know what these teams are going to do. Yet we still we don't have any way to. We, no plan, no plan whatsoever, no way to work around it. I think, again, today you saw Casemiro playing as a number 10, and I think Zidane wanted to use him as a, a target in the box, which, fine, I can I can understand that. But more often than not, he was just kind of at the top of the box and his teammates were ignoring him or he'd have to try and combine with Benzema, which is Casemiro the person I want combining with Benzema at the top of the box? The answer is no. But, I mean... To draw some positives, Keon, I do agree with you that I thought Hazard, once he stopped doing, like early on he kept trying to do different flicks that just weren't coming off. But then finally towards uh, the end of the first half, he started coming deep to pick up the ball, would turn his man, and then dribble, breaking lines, and start to create something. And like that's what you want Hazard to do. That's that's his go-to. And so I wanted to see more of that. And I agree, Asensio... Asensio had half as many touches as Hazard in that first half, but I did think he was making good runs off the ball. Um, I did think, like, he, especially at the start of the second half, I thought he was probably one of the most dangerous, and he had that gorgeous, gorgeous control and then got our only shot on target off, um, nearly curled a long-range a long range shot. And so he, he, those two were good, and then obviously those two later on in the game came off, but I don't want to get too, too far ahead, but yeah, I just, I just, it was, it was frustrating for me because we know what to expect against these teams, especially, especially in given the circumstances. And yet again, we had no real plan. So a key play that kind of illustrates a lot of what you guys are talking about in terms of hazard, the lack of central presence, came in the 42nd minute. I was trying to find it when you guys were talking about it. And 
he does a good job coming deep. You know, this is when he started to find more success the way Matt was talking about. And this is maybe where Asasuna were a little too aggressive out of their block, like really trying to man mark Hazard hard, you know, coming deep to receive, which is honestly exactly what Hazard is trying to get you to do when he receives there because there's few players in world football history that are better than using their body against the defender coming up to press you to then turn you and then use the acceleration to go by you, which is exactly what Hazard does in this moment. And in that kind of instance, he's broken through Osasuna centrally in a rare moment, and he looks up, and you guys, you, if, you, if you guys can figure it out, then, then, then answer it. Guess who was that one person he saw in zone 14 when he, when he made that play and looked up? Was Casemiro, right? So he he plays it off to Casemiro, who who you know positioning himself like an elite number ten, and he receives decently. He turns, Hazard's making a run, continuing it through the center, bit of a harder find there. But Benzema's in the left channel, making a run, basically begging for a through ball. Casemiro kind of looks at him, and you know it, it's one of those moments where within half a second he has to make a decision and release the ball, right? And he decides it's not on. He passes it out to Mendy, who's coming on the overlap late. And in that moment, we just recycle play and the attack is dead. Right? And it starts from a really dynamic moment when Hazard twists past the defender, breaks lines, makes a good pass into a dangerous area. And he has a player who's not supposed to be there receiving the ball in that area. And, you know... The funny thing is, is like, okay, I'm singling. I, it's it's not necessarily a case of me trying to single out Casemiro here because I actually think this was his best game of the season, probably from the defensive perspective, especially the first 25 minutes. I thought he was fine defensively. It's a case of him being used where he's not best, right? It's a it's an issue of deployment, which we've talked about many other times in this game, but I think in that particular moment, really spoke volumes about kind of the the issue of us consistently trying to, you know, manipulate the defense from those areas. Um, so that was one issue, right? You know, Hazard and Asensio taking up these good positions, making plays, especially Hazard, and then they look up and they don't have the support around them to kind of capitalize on the situations. And so in terms of trying to capitalize on those instances, there were moments, right, where, you know, also soon I thought largely defended well, um, I think maybe the, the two places they could have been exploited, which Xian was maybe mentioning, was being a little too lax about defending those overlaps. Like Mendy and Lucas were, were getting into good areas there, and they could be released. Um, Modric, especially in the first half, was trying to play those reverse passes into those areas. And then also maybe being a, being a bit too aggressive, having someone step up from the midfield line, you know, relying too much on their cover shadow to protect the half space. And that's when Hazard and Asensio were receiving in those positions. The issue is they'd get there, right? We've created a structural advantage by doing so because we're going to potentially collapse the defense. We're attracting attention. And then we just didn't get the ball out of there quick enough, right? Hazard and Asensio look up and they have to try to dribble two or three players, you know, looking for someone else to combine with. And then Asasuna did a really, really good job of reacting to that and collapsing around them. And most of the time, we lost the ball from those positions. So there was an issue of, of efficiency in those areas, which, okay, if we want to talk about, you know, the, the snow or whatever, I certainly think it affected our ability to, to combine combinations didn't come off. But also there was a lack of support for those combinations. 
But then beyond the point of efficiency, which is what I was talking about earlier, we just weren't doing that frequently enough, right? Like the ball circulation was lazy. There, there was no real tempo to our game. And just overall, our attempts to attack the box were just extremely, extremely low. There weren't, you know, that many, there, there wasn't enough volume, right? Like, again, as I'm talking about, if we're going to have that efficiency problem, right, where we're saying, okay, it's difficult for us to pull off these really hard things, then you just need to keep doing them again and again and again. And I never got that sense that the team had that urgency to play the ball into dangerous areas constantly. And again, it's not like getting into the final third was a problem for us. Osasuna did not press. We had the ball near their final third the entire time, and yet it would take us an entire minute through a possession to even think about attacking the box. And that was a real problem for me. And it was kind of like, you know, maybe not the core issue, but on top of all the other things that that were going incorrect, it was what essentially sealed our offensive fate for the game, which is that we couldn't create any chances. You know, we we literally didn't create anything. Not not a single opportunity where I thought, oh, okay, we could score there. It was basically a game where throughout the entirety of it, I was like, I'm just hoping for a draw here because we are not going to score a goal. Yeah, I think the lack of volume that you spoke of is was crazy to me given the fact that they had seventy percent possession. So like they had they had a lot of the ball. Again, their build up was fine. It's just how can you have all of that and come away with nothing? That 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 part. I mean, like, look, we we haven't mentioned the disallowed goals. Was there was there two disallowed goals, or was there, was there one? I make I could be mixing up games today. There but were there was two. Something. Yeah, so we're not there mentioning those, and they were both offside. I think were they not? Yeah, the the second one was offside by a mile. Both Benzema and Ramos offside together and then the first one Benzema was offside by a clear amount but but not by as much as the second right so I mean why count those I mean especially if that Ramos Benzema was so offside then we just don't count it but um where (laughs) I, I guess maybe we can just talk about Casemiro too and by the way like just maybe to just end off the Hazard Asensio point with this I think you needed more from outside of them. Um, I also think it's worth pointing out, you know what, you know, and Matt Matt brought up Asensio's beautiful first touch in the second half, which was in the um, 48th minute, I think. Brings it down, controls it, and a shot. And I didn't realize that that was the only shot on goal until Matt mentioned it. But I thought Hazard similarly had some beautiful touches on the opposite side, but even on the right side coming over, and I thought Asensio was also good def- defensively too. It was it was nice timing too because I'm actually writing a column about him, and um, it was, you know, this this is this was another positive performance from him. I thought, again, like just not not too surgical offensively, but I thought both he and Hazard did well. And I think with Hazard though, there were a couple moments where I, th- as good as he was with his touches and his line breaking at times. There were a couple times where I thought he could have turned and gone at the defense a little bit, but chose to pass it backwards. So I think there's still room for improvement with Hazard. Like, you know, we still need to see him again. This is his first game back. Hopefully we don't have to say that, um, you know, this is once he gets momentum, hopefully that he can just keep riding that momentum and not get injured again. But, you know, given that this is a stop-start thing for him, you just hope that, this won't this won't stop anytime soon, and it kind of made me uneasy seeing all the challenges that he gets. And somehow he's like a magnet for fouls and rough fouls. And he had a couple today, and he was kind of limping around a little bit. So 
that worries me a little bit, but I thought it was an encouraging performance from uh, from both of them. I also think it's worth highlighting Casemiro again. And it's interesting to know, like, you know, he was impressed and maybe because of that or probably really irregardless of whether he was pressed or not, he ends up in the box a lot or ends up in the final third doing his thing. And in this game, it was usually Mordor Cruz who would drop deep and Casemiro would be a little bit higher up the pitch. But I thought Casemiro's first half, I agree with you, Om, I thought it was great. Um, I thought he had a couple really important defensive interventions, one of them really important, but also really impressive where he just sprints back and intercepts a cutback in the box. Um, he had that back heel, which reminded me of Zidane versus Valencia in 2003. He had... Um, he had a clearance on a cutback, like amid a wave of attacks in the first half, which stemmed from remember that corner and also soon the corners like that was a thing like they 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 can take advantage of set pieces. They had a corner in the first half where Benzema gets beat to the ball uh, from an uh, by Oyer and Oyer forces a great set from Courtois and then on the next possession, Osasuna come again and Casemiro clears uh, a cutback that was dangerous. And he had a nice through ball to Modric too. And I had to do a double take. Like, was that Casemiro? Because it was just so perfectly weighted. And again, like good just defense all around. And also how Vasquez, who struggled a little bit on that right side, um, which maybe we can get into. So what did you think of, and and Matt, maybe we can start with you. What did you think of that Vasquez versus... Um, versus Ruben Garcia matchup there on the wing. So I thought Ruben Garcia was actually probably one of Osasuna's most dangerous players, if not their most dangerous. And um, I thought Vasquez and Mendy did really well to provide overloads down the flanks and keep the width. And um, I wouldn't say their crossing was at, was at their best tonight, but I, I did think they did a good job of... Um, providing that late that late overlapping or underlapping run when it was required. Defensively, though, for Vasquez, uh, I didn't think he was nearly as strong as Mendy, who had some really, really great recovery runs. But Vasquez, he's, I mean, I've, I've always pointed it out. Like, I, I just, there's, there's times where you can really tell he's not, he's a winger playing right back. And I think defensively, um, Ruben, Ruben Garcia just took advantage of that. And he was, I felt like he felt more confident going going against Lucas Vasquez because he knew he could get the better of him. He knew um, that just Lucas isn't a hundred percent or does it not necessarily comfortable, um, not comfortable when he's defending one v one, but he doesn't not always aware of when to step, when to drop, uh, how much pressure he should be providing, how much space there should be between him and the attacker. And so I think that's kind of the those those subtle details is where he struggles a little bit defensively. And so that's where I think Ruben Garcia got the better of him. It's interesting that he had six completed tackles out of nine, and that was the best of anyone of any team. And I think that illustrates that, you know, just in general, right? Like we all like statistics. We use statistics a lot, but we've always been pretty clear about needing to contextualize it. Right. It's even more so with defense, right? Because simply just having all it tells you these so far, you know, the best that we have in terms of like available public event data just tells you 
level of defensive involvement and not necessarily effectiveness. So I think this is kind of like an interesting microcosm of that in that you can certainly go throughout the game and find plenty of moments where Lucas Vasquez was making tackles and that's backed up in the fact that he completed six you know, at a decent success rate, but still come away with the sense that he was kind of exposed defensively. And that's because it's down to the, the types of things that Matt was talking about, right? Positioning, you know, his, his decision of when to apply pressure and all of that. And, you know, I think that's reflected in the fact, you know, I think not trying to take too much credit away from him that Ruben Garcia, in my opinion, was the best player of the day. I thought if there was any way that Osasuna were going to nick a goal and, you know, they weren't amazing offensively, it, it was going to come from him. You know, just real quick, because we're on the topic of stats, he had team high touches uh, for, for his for his side, so 61 you know, outstripping, you know, everyone else by quite a bit. He had three key passes, which via understat translate to about 0.35 expected assists uh, for the night. Um, he had two out of five accurate crosses, four out of seven completed dribbles, and then he was really active defensively, one tackle, five interceptions. Um, he created more chances and completed more crosses than any Real Madrid player on the day, and only Isco completed as many dribbles from him. I thought he was really good. I thought something that's not really captured by who scored statistics at least was I thought his progressive passing in advanced areas was excellent. Um, I thought he really aided their ball progression down the left, especially against any kind of Real Madrid counter-pressing moments. He was really intelligent, always aware of everything that was in front of him and constantly looking for solutions to get his team upfield. You know, with with the forward line or, or forward person, really, lone man, who didn't have much support. I thought he did a fabulous job. He was often, you know, had underloads, you know, on his side. It was one versus two, one versus three, and he made a lot out of it. And I I mean, maybe like there's some other player you guys were thinking of that, you know, could potentially have had a better game, but I think it's pretty undebatable that he was the best player in the game, at least from an offensive perspective. And I was really impressed with him. It's it's one of those performances that you kind of have to have from an individual if you're going to get a result against one of the big boys. And and he played really well, though, you know, okay, he faced Lucas Vasquez. And then to kind of like, so we don't move on from this real quick. Like I, I actually, because we criticized our offense, I don't think our transition defense was actually that good either. I think it was kind of back, hearkening back to kind of the old Zidane era where individuals are covering the issues, right? Lots of key interventions from Casemiro. I think Furlan Mendy had a couple of those down his own flank where he just comes out of nowhere and snuffs out a fire when, you know, they, they have space on the flanks and they're attacking. It was a little tougher on the, on the right-hand side, right? Because Lucas, you know, has some of those issues that, that we were talking about before. Just in general, like the counter-pressing... Yeah, there were moments of it. Ruben Garcia beat it at times, but I just thought our counter-pressing was really poor. And it's odd to me because technically, because your counter-pressing has so much to do with how you structure yourself in possession, when you have 70% possession, when everything's slow, everything is laborious, technically we should have all the time in the world, right, to position ourselves how we want to across all the zones to set ourselves up every single time we attack the box, that when we lose it, we should be set up every single time, right? And we shouldn't have this issue of, like, you know, balls constantly going into the channel and Varane having to come over and, and you know, save us and, and stuff like that. And yet it just felt like the counterpress was being beaten way too often, right? Again, Osasuna not threatening us that much, but when you think about the amount of attacking possessions they had and the amount of those that turned into counterattacks because the amount of possession we had... 
they were remarkably efficient in a way that I just don't think they should have been. And I'm not, I don't know if I can really explain why that, that was the case today. Maybe it's just the entire team being out of it. Right. And, and, you know, that whole issue, but I guess this will kind of be an underrated thing that no one will talk about because the offense was probably the bigger issue, but defensive transition wise, I was not impressed with us collectively. And this is something that we've been steadily improving on since last season. Right. And it was just back today, at least it was back to kind of individuals needing to make heroic, you know, interventions against Osasuna who have been a really bad offensive team this season have missed key players. Like Estupinian is no longer with them. Avila has had injury issues. I that that worries me a little bit. I don't know if that's going to be a long-term issue, but I didn't like what I saw on that end. Um, and I think that's part of why Ruben Garcia had such a good game. I just like there's a lot in what you just said. I was like, trying to like f- uh, figure out what to touch on first and when I was to kind of take some notes, classic ohm, but I um I do think that like just they they could have done more. Like the more we have this discussion, the more this conversation unfolds. I, I feel like what Zidane said of like we did what we could. I I don't think is the is the correct assessment here. Um, and just to to go back to the snow, you got. I mean, you guys have been in North America for a while. Have you have you guys played in snow? By the way. Yeah, I have. I've played in a game uh, very similar to this, and the thing that I hated about it, it wasn't necessarily like the ice or the snow coming down it was if your toes don't warm up quick enough like they balloon out and so it's Hmm. just really painful in your cleats like running around with that Um, but usually you warm up enough that that doesn't happen but it's happened to me a couple times and it's just like really painful yeah that's what that's what Kaylin Kyle said on the broadcast the the warm-up aspect is is tough so I uh I actually have really enjoyed playing in the snow anytime I've I've played in the snow. I feel like there's just it's fine. Like it's really not that big a deal. And by the way, like why weren't some of these players like actually bundled? Each player has a choice to <laughs> wear long sleeve or short sleeve and gloves or no gloves. And the amount of players on both teams who chose to just wear short sleeve, like is shocking to me. Who does that? Like I'm the type of person like I need I I I go with the Under Armour underneath the jersey because I mean we don't have the privilege of having short sleeve long sleeve we're not rich football clubs but I always did Under Armour underneath the jersey I the toque the hat like um, mittens everything the whole shebang double socks even you guys have no strong opinions about this I can tell. I mean, I I generally like the cold. I mean, the one thing for me is like my my fingers like are the only part of my body that can't really handle it. So I need gloves, which I mean, it's not a big issue with, with football, but like I've, I've been playing tennis quite a bit. And like one time I just I just couldn't go on. It was like 32 degrees Fahrenheit. And like my hands were just like frozen to my racket. So like that's the only thing for me. I, I haven't played in, in snow as much as you guys. Like I think the last time was like in middle school when I was trying out like the travel soccer team thing in, in the middle of winter when I played, um, I don't have many memories of that, but just in general, I guess the cold doesn't bother me. I, I might be one of those players who comes out, you know, maybe with like short sleeves or something, but I definitely have gloves on if it's snowing because that that's the only thing that gets me. Well, it felt like like the whole Osasuna team were in short sleeves, like trying to be like Basque brute, uh, <laughs> like 
<laughs> like, but and everyone on Real Madrid was in long sleeves. I felt like, but no, Keon, I'm with you, man. I I layer up. I wear all this stuff. The what's the thing now that all the players that Tevez wore? What's it called? The thing around the neck? Uh, is it a snood or something like that? I forget what it's called. But I would wear that. I wear the gloves. Everything. You got to have it all. Uh, the snood is like kind of. It's like a, is that the one that's like half a toque but like half a scarf kind of thing yeah oh no it's just basically like a massive scarf yeah it's like your neck it like you could put it over your mouth if you needed to like it covers your neck there's a like a scarf there's masks version of those which i i don't i i've been meaning to get because everyone who wears them looks really comfy because my masks are so uncomfortable at this point, but there's like mass version of the snoot. Yeah, I all of that stuff. All that stuff is important. And lo and behold, Casemiro is one of the few players who did the long sleeve gloves, and he had he had maybe the best performance uh, of anyone on the field. So there's bundle up. It's not that hard. Um, let's talk about maybe we can bring in some like Osasuna stuff into this again. Um, going back. And again, the routine now for me is to read Jose's preview piece after the game because this one went up like really crunch time today's uh, before the game. And as always, excellent work by Jose. One of the things he outlined was that Osasuna are uh, a high-pressing team. And he kind of, he brought into, uh, he incorporated a Twitter video which shows um, uh, Yagoba Raste, the manager, kind of like outlining to his team how he wants the 4-4-2 high press and all this stuff. And today they didn't go that route. And I actually asked him about it. And I said, uh, it seemed like you went a little bit more conservative tonight. Drop back deep a little bit and 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 maybe kind of deviated from what you normally do and more cautious than normal. And he said, he said yeah, and that's, that's partly because um, they were missing... They were missing a few key players, and 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 one of the players that he wanted to to start was just exhausted from the last few games that he didn't even get on get on the field. And I believe who he was referring to um, for that was um, was Javi Martinez Calvo because um, he didn't mention which one because he he just listed off like three players. So he said for that reason, they lacked the bodies to really go after it and press, so they retracted into a lower block. And he said that he felt that that naturally opened his team up a little bit because I brought up the fact that, you know, Real Madrid kind of got to certain spots, but it seemed like you defended the cutbacks and cross as well. So um, that was just maybe an interesting uh, wrinkle. And it's not that dissimilar from um, from the Shakhtar model in some sense if you're trying to remember all these low blocks that Real Madrid have faced. But Shakhtar was one that um, that Luis Castro was talking about, how, like, you know, we we didn't want to press them. We let them have that buildup. Then we let the wingers get the ball, and then we close all the central spaces. So this is a blueprint that, in my opinion, this is what teams should copy against Real Madrid. You know, I think certain teams, if you're really good at pressing and your synergy is good and you can have the lungs to do it, that's rare to be able to pull that off. Um, so unless you can really do it and you're the outlier and you're the exception to the rule, I, I don't know if that's the best idea. I think this is the best approach. This is the way to do it. And this is what Real Madrid have struggled at, uh, against the most. So I was just curious to know if you guys had any extra thoughts. Like, you know, this is the trend of the low block and what Real Madrid have faced. And um, 
and kind of like, is this the most successful blueprint now against Real Madrid? Oh, I, I, I think it definitely is. I mean, it's so apparent. I mean, teams are happy to let us have control. They don't, I mean, that's the Don's thing, have control, but then we don't create anything. And so um, it's, it's, that's not the issue at all. And Jose actually uh, tweeted out after the game, which I found very uh, interesting, was that Real Madrid crossed the ball 28 times versus the most aerial, <clears throat> aerially dominant center back pair in La Liga. Hmm. And that may not have been a good idea. So <clears throat> uh, Hernandez and David Garcia um, win a stunning 77%, 82% of their area duels, said Jose on Twitter. So, I mean, that that right there tells you, I mean, with I, I do think the field maybe plays a little bit, um, put kind of changes the forces Zidane's hand maybe to, to play out wide there if it's icy in the middle. But still, I I'm I'm a little skeptical of that as well because how many times have we seen this guys where literally Real Madrid's only option they they don't play through the middle that they're, they're looking to get it out wide and get the cross in against these deep blocks and so that's where. That's where it gets frustrating because these co- it's not that hard to figure out how to play against Real Madrid because Zidane has proven in the how many months into the season six six months into the season that he can't he can't break down a little block he doesn't he doesn't utilize his players the right way we haven't we don't create quality chances and this is this is the same old story. Another interesting thing, well. I don't know if it's that interesting. I mentioned it earlier, is that like it was also fairly icy on the uh, wide areas of the box where Real Madrid would normally cross. Like it's, you know, it's like Osasuna obviously anticipated that was going to be our approach, but you know they just they just like surrounded the box, you know, on all three sides of the dice. So like I don't know. Yeah, I mean maybe it forces you a little bit to that area, but I I don't know if it was necessarily more comfortable to play in 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 those spaces. If I can say that, I think. I mean, I think even if Arasate had the players he wanted or whatever to do this pressing game, I think he probably still would have, or it would have been a good idea to to play this low block game. Um, for all of the things you guys said, and I, I think he just he just made a good tactical choice, right? I think especially against the big teams, right? You may have your way of playing, but if you have that ability and willingness to be flexible, especially in your defensive approach, it will get you results more often than not, or more often than the average against big sides like this. And I think this was a key case. And pressing, you know, even if you're a side that's comfortable pressing, and, and we know via Jose's article that they've had issues with that this season, um, maybe even if you take last season's Osasuna, who are really good at it, there's a risk, especially with Modric kind of having been in the form he's in. We saw what happened with Abar, who seemed to have finally gotten back to their old selves in terms of pressing, and they got ripped to pieces. And in this type of game, you know, I, I think they made the right decision in like altering their main strategy and, and going to that 4-1-4, and especially which looked good versus Real Sociedad in terms of you know cutting off spaces and such. I, I think that's the way to go, not just low block, but you know, five in midfield with the defensive midfielder to kind of cover any central areas. You have that protection on the flanks, right? Because you can stretch all the way across. That That's the way you approach Real Madrid. And then basically it's, you know, will they have like Casemiro barging in in the 90th minute to score a header or a penalty or set piece like that? If you're a side lower down on the talent scale, I think you accept that, right? I think you're happy to to kind of say that Real Madrid wins in that way. 
you know, rather than them playing through you and, and playing all this beautiful football and Benzema scoring a couple, assisting a couple. So, yeah, good approach for them. I think they largely approached the game the right way, executed to a generally good degree. And with those small inefficiencies they had, Ramadan were unable to take advantage of them, you know, for the multitude of reasons we explained. And I I think Arsate, you know, he, he outcoached Zidane in this one a little bit. Um, or at least, you know, presented a tactical problem that was has proven difficult for Zidane to solve. And so my hat off to him, my hat off to the Osasuna players. I think they did pretty well. And I, I think they really deserved this this uh, one point. And probably, or not probably, but maybe, maybe could have nicked that win if, uh, was it Torres who, you know, had that volley yep. attempt from Ruben Garcia's pass. And, you it's know, a great not, chance. not a, like... Yeah, I mean, it's not like a penalty, but that was right in front of goal. There wasn't a lot of defensive pressure on him, right? I think there was only one defender in the box with him, trailing him. You know, he connects with that sweetly. Who knows? Yeah, that chance, um, that low-key was a really good chance. And that was Ramos a little bit late to get to Torres in the box. Uh, and Torres just completely unmarked. Like, it was just a completely free chance. Um, where do you guys want to go from here? We could we could go to questions. We could we could kind of keep going into nitty gritty well, details. Talk about the subs? Yeah. Uh, oh, geez, yeah, the subs were a huge part of this game. Okay, so let's <laughs> let's do that. Um, so no subs until the 65th minute when Fede comes in for Asensio, and then in the 74th minute there's a double change. It's Mariano and Isco in for Hazard and Modric. So, what were your thoughts on the subs? Who who didn't come in that you think would have made an impact? I already know the answer to that, but um, but also just the subs in general. Do you think they affected the game in a positive way or not? Uh, I I don't, and I think the subs were bizarre. I mean, I, I'm curious to hear everything Om has to say, but from my perspective, like putting Fede on the wing was not the answer. That and taking Asensio off, who was one of our most dangerous players that, that again not the answer um obviously i understand hazard has to come off it's his first start uh he already took a, he took a hit that scared everyone i'm sure when he looked like he was holding his ankle and so he had to come off and although he's one of the most dangerous players you understand it but why isn't i would put a like for like change or somebody who's who's going to run at that defense and stretch that defense like vinicius jr um, who, as for those who read the article I put out uh, last night, it he's his uh, non-penalty xG and xA is I mean it's really it's it's incredible. It's he's he's creating chances and he's getting in the right spot. So that's a player I would want on the pitch, especially in this type of match against a low block. Um, and then obviously the big one. I mean he puts he he chooses Isco over Odegaard again, and Isco though. When he puts Isco on, he puts him on with Mariano. And I'm good with that. Like, Mariano, I think, is the right person to put in there if we're going to just start lumping uh, crosses into the box. But once Isco came on, we went to a 4-4-2. Isco on the left, Fede on the right, and we didn't cross anymore. We stopped crossing. Because uh, <laughs> both Isco and Fede wanted to... Well, Isco obviously wants to cut in and kind of, like, combine. And then Fede is not a natural right winger. So he was coming more central and trying to pick it up in almost like a number 10 spot. And so it, we stopped crossing and that was just, it was, it was just beyond me. But I think the biggest player who 
we're all dying to get in there and we say it podcast after podcast who's the perfect guy to get in there and uh try and create something against a deep block martin odegaard yet again on the bench who knows what's going on there i don't know but at this point like i'm i'm really frustrated by it and it's it is what it is i guess i really love how blunt matt is in contrast to kian and i like you know, he just he just says it, whereas I feel like Kian and I will spend like 15 minutes outlining the pros and cons of what we just said and like working our way around to an answer so that we don't piss people off. And then the two people people get mad at the most is Kian and I. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I just just a, a funny thing I wanted to point out. Um, so I'll get to the subs just real quick. I don't know how you guys feel about this because we didn't really talk about it, but in terms of the starting lineup, I kind of wanted to see rotations. Again, kind of this idea of the 19th place side in the league. If we're going to do some rotations, it's got to be now. And, you know, I not wholesale changes. I was maybe thinking, do we think about Odriozola, as I mentioned in the last podcast, but definitely Odegaard and Fede Valverde were on the side. Maybe if I'm pushing it, try to sneak Militao back into the side for Varane because... You know, we, we can't just freeze him out forever, but I would understand if Zidane doesn't want to do that for now. At least Odegaard and Valverde, they were in the starting lineup. I wasn't that surprised. I was disappointed. Very, well, I don't know. Okay, very disappointed, but I don't know how surprised at this point because I, I, I'm i less sure than I was a couple weeks ago about where Odegaard is in Zidane's plan. Like, that he didn't come on when we needed a goal, when it's clear that we can't break down the deep block. I, I don't really get it, and... I, I agree with Matt 100% about, like, the Fede thing not working, right? Like, he had 13 touches the entire game, and he was the first substitute coming out on the right wing. Like, it's semi-worked in the past, right? Like, even when we've done a diamond, he's sort of been on that role. But I don't know. Like, it's more. it's been more against pressing sides, you know, if we think about that PSG game versus deep blocks. Like, I just don't see what Fede Valverde is providing you on the right, especially coming off for Asensio. Like... Okay, fine. If you want to take Asensio off, why not play Odegaard there, who, given Asensio's role, would have done a similar thing in terms of coming inside, receiving the half space, trying to make a difference from there. And then, you know, I, I like the Mariano change. It was the one change that I thought was good. But he goes to essentially, like, it, it was so all over the place, but I, I thought maybe what he was going for was a diamond, right, with Isco and Mariano coming on. But given the positioning of all of these players, like, you could also say it was a flat 4-4-2, whatever. We know how Isco roams all over the place. You could have placed Odegaard there, right, if you were going for a sort of diamond shape, right? Because, And I thought it actually would have been better for what we were trying to do because it's interesting that, I guess, theoretically, when people look at a, a, a diamond from a tactical point of view, you think that provides you more central penetration, allows you to be more vertical. But the way Zidane has mostly done it is it allows him to retain even more lateral control because Isco will come towards the ball. He'll move out of those areas and it makes our side-to-side passing even stronger. And that's when our greatest, I think, press-resistant sequences have come through. But in this game, right, it just became more lateral, more horizontal against a team that was already sitting down into a deep block. And, you know, weirdly enough, then leading to, like, less crosses, as kind of Matt was talking about. So it just... I, I didn't really get the changes. I mean, I think I sort of understood what he was trying to do with putting Mariano on and Isco and stuff like that. But the Valverde thing was weird to me. And that once again, we don't see Martin Odegaard is, I think at this point is, it's not excusable. I think in terms of like not 
substituting him on in this type of situation. Okay, like I can't say at this point that Odegaard, you know, he must be an undisputed starter or whatever. Again, Luka Modric has been playing well. Casemiro, I think, you know, kind of proved why maybe he was necessary in the game and that I understood why he wanted maybe wanted to keep him on. But when we're in that situation when we need a goal, when we've, we've not created anything until that point to not bring on, you know, one of the most elite chance creators in the world, quite frankly, not something I understand. And again, this doesn't seem to be a thing with injury, right? All indications we have is that Odegaard is fully fit. He's ready to play. He's been training with the squad. Uh, I I mean, I, I guess I can ask you this, Keon, um, whether anyone asked Zidane about the Odegaard question, because I know people love to ask about why he didn't sub on people. But I, for once, I would have actually been interested in what his answer was, you know, to that sort of question. Because at this point, I am kind of scratching my head. Uh, I don't think there was anything Odegaard related. Um, and I'm a bit perplexed just as as you guys are as to why that's, you know, it becomes, at first it was, it was like, it, it was explicable. It was, you know, he he had just come back. You don't want to rush him in. Mortar's just playing at a high level. And then as kind of time wears on, wears on it, it becomes less explainable. It's like, well, there are games you clearly need him and he's not playing and why not? If he, if he, if he clearly solves certain theoretical issues that you're having, and then today, Isco leapfrogged him. Um, I will say this. I, I think... I actually, like, with the subs, in a vacuum, they were kind of okay to me. But at the same time, the fact of the matter is they just made zero difference, right? I think we can all agree on. There was zero impact. Now, the one maybe I'm not so confident on saying is, I don't know if... I will defer to you guys on Isco because that's my prime, just I'm writing my immediate reaction. And I did see that he had four completed dribbles. I did see a roulette that he did. I don't know. Again, I don't. I don't have a proper assessment on on that sub. But like Fede, I don't mind Fede on the right in a vacuum. I've seen him play well there. Like I've seen him play that role better than some traditional right wingers do even, because he's such a he's such a bowling ball. Like the guy, he just blitzes through the flank. He can carry the ball. He gets into right good positions in the, in the right half space. It's it's fine. But I didn't, I found it, I found this substitute a little bit redundant because I didn't see what, in the context of this game in particular, I didn't see what he brings to the table that Asensio wasn't already bringing. And, and you know, this wasn't a game where you needed a massive two-way presence either. I don't think Osasuna were threatening much on the counter. You didn't really need Fede in this game. Uh, Asensio made more sense to me. And if you're going for a surgical offensive weapon and maybe Asensio was tired, well, then Odegaard's a clear sub. It's... It's a no-brainer to me. So I don't know what's what's happening there either, but um, I think that if you're going to take a Sensio off, it might have been might as well have been for somebody like Odegaard. Um, the other one, which I would have liked to have seen in this game, was Odriozola, which you know there is an easy easy counter argument against that idea. It's like the guy just hasn't played; he has no match fitness; he has barely played in the last 12 months of the year. And even beyond that, he's barely played. He's had shaky performances. So I have no idea what version of Odorzola just pops in tonight. And and especially given that, um, especially given that Ruben Garcia was having a good game and, and he didn't come off until a 76 minute. But I, I think Vasquez was pretty poor tonight. And especially on the ball, like at least he recovered well defensively on certain occasions. 
But offensively, his touches were poor. His passing was poor. And I think Casemiro was doing such a good job defending in transition, as was Varane, that I didn't really think that, you know, I would have liked to have seen a gamble with Ordo Rizzo. Let's see what he would have brought offensively. Maybe he he really just takes advantage of a tired Osasuna defense and just runs behind like like a maniac and, and gets in on the, end, on the end of a couple through balls. I would have liked to see that. I, again, I, that one I understand why it didn't happen. But just given the way the context of this game and the way Vasquez was performing, I thought it would have been worth a shot. But the, really the one that I thought was a little bit redundant was Fede in for, um, Fede in for Asensio. And that Matt makes a great point. And this is, a, this is another common trend. Zidane brings in Mariano and then just doesn't use him. Like, do you guys remember Mariano moments at all? I remember one time he dribbled. Um, how many touches did he had? He had three touches. All right, so he was a complete ghost. So I, you know, this is a this is a trend. There's been there's been games early in the season where Real Madrid were crossing just unapologetically, just flinging everything into the box. And then they bring on Jovic, and then they just stop doing that. Like it, it. <laughs> yeah. So what what do you say to that? How do you? <laughs> was there analysis there, or is that just we just throw our hands in the air and be like, well, I don't know. We this well, is I, beyond our our comprehension. We're we're not playing the same kind of chess. You know, we don't. This is above our pay grade. I think it was the shape. I mean, I really do. I think. Ohm said it, it could have been a diamond, but it to me it looked like a four four two with Isco on the left, Fede on the right, and they're not natural wingers. So you took out your natural wingers, and now you're not crossing anymore. So I think that's what it comes down to for me. But uh, I noticed neither of you guys uh, brought up Vinicius. Did you? You, you didn't think? Uh, this yeah, I, yeah. For him? No, he that that's a definitely obvious one that would have made a difference in this game. Yes, especially if you're going to take Hazard off. Vinicius, I I can almost guarantee you that if we saw Vinicius in this game, we would have had something to talk about either way. I don't know what it is, but it it could be a case of he just dribbles to three players and then misses something crazy, or he just causes some kind of chaos and some bounces and Mariano scores an empty net, or, or he just plays terrible and uses the ball every two seconds. Either way, we would have had something to talk about. I think Vinicius would have been a good one. I would have not been against it, but to be quite honest, I've I've not been impressed with Vinicius's form of late. Um, I, I can understand it in that sense. Um, it's not one that was super high up my list. Like I would have wanted Odegaard first, and I, you know, honestly, a straight swap for with Benzema for Mariano might not have been the worst thing in the world. Instead of trying to like put them on together, and then yeah, I mean, you put Vinicius on with them. Sure, fine, but like of late, before you know the injury, right? I was coming to the opinion that I think Rodrigo actually should be the number one option on the left wing, you know, bar Hazard. Uh, which you know, I guess I, I guess I still have to buy the logic that, like, given how poor it was, having someone who is just going to attempt something and attempt it at a more rapid volume and pace would have been beneficial. But when I really think about what would have been the game changer in my mind, that's Odegaard and. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's my feeling about it. Do you guys want to move to questions? Well, I just wanted to, real quick, like Matt mentioned the uh, aerial duel win percentage of the center backs. I just thought Osasuna's back four was really, really good. 
you know, maybe there were some issues here and there with some compactness, the way that maybe their midfield line being a bit too aggressive, leaving a little too much space for the overlap. But I thought in t- terms of dealing with any type of delivery into the box, they were perfectly in sync. They were perfectly organized. Everyone knew who was covering who. There wasn't a moment where a cross went into the box that a player wasn't completely covered. And then, you know, in those offside moments, especially the second one, right, like the defensive line is perfectly in line, right, all maintaining, you know, their shape so that there's not one player who, who would have played, you know, Ramos and Benzema on, on side. Uh, you know, it's not the type of thing that people are, like, going to rave about. It's not a super exciting point, but I do think it was really critical to their performance. And I even given that they're a super early dominant side, I think this may be one of their best box defending of the season and yeah I mean I think that's just something to appreciate there because usually when you know no matter how badly the bigger team plays but when it, when when a side like this gets a result usually someone or some group of players are performing exceptionally well and in my opinion in this game you have Ruben Garcia obviously but I think the back four was really really good like you can go back anyone could go back and look at every single cross we put into the box. Like just, there was no space, no ability to gain any kind of easy separation, which is as good as I think you can do. And then suddenly the onus is on the attacker to, to really do really well, almost Ronaldo style to create a little bit of space and get that shot off. And obviously we don't have Ronaldo. So it is what it was. Matt, any other thoughts? Uh, not, not for me. I think I'm good for questions. Okay. Um, so 20 questions that are about to come up. (laughs) All right. So patreon.com slash managing Madrid is where you go to submit your questions, get access to a bunch of shows. Um, if you're this deep in and you like this show, please consider supporting us on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. And I promise you get a ton of value, you get a ton of bonus content, you get a bunch of different rewards, plus you get to support a show and keep it going. So again, patreon.com slash managing Madrid. Our first patron question is from Brendan Powers. It's more of like a rant, an overarching rant with a bunch of rage questions in between. And I'm sure Brendan won't mind me saying that I've, I know him. So um, I'm going to read it. And if this kind of takes us into any different discussion than we haven't discussed already we'll we'll just get into it naturally so brennan says when will zidane ever learn does he understand that cross and inshallah doesn't work when you don't have height in the box or a nine who holds back the back line will zidane ever learn that using someone like odegaard to help break down a low block would be useful does he realize that we even struggle breaking down low blocks i'm just so tired of seeing the same team play week in week out why did we spend so much money to offer Vasquez a new deal and let him play second choice right back? If we can't rotate against 19th place Osasuna, I know it's a rough place to go to. When can we rotate? The games are a snooze fest as well. Why keep Casemiro on when you need a goal? I'm just so confused. And I just don't see why you don't give the players um, you invested so much money into some playing time against a lower table opposition. I know La Liga is stronger than it used to be. But you should still trust players like Jovic, Odegaard, Militao to beat these teams. Barcelona played a B-team player and recent graduate as center back, as a centre-back pairing, and they kept a clean sheet against Granada. I'm just so tired of the same song and dance every game. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> Did Matt Wilsey write this? Is yeah. this well, this actually, uh, this actually um, reminds me of some bigger picture stuff I wanted to talk to you guys about. Um, 
So now, looking at the league table, Barcelona is only three points behind us. Um, Atleti, if they win their two games in hand, will be ten points ahead of us. Um, I mean, if we if we somehow Don't they man- have three games in hand, or maybe it's three. I thought it was two, um, but. I, I do know that like if they win all their games they they would be ten points ahead of us. So and if you're it is three games. Sanchez, and if you're Florentino Perez and you're you're watching these games, you're seeing the results, you're seeing that the investments you've made over the last few years, five hundred I mean over five hundred million in transfer fees for guys like Militao, Jovic, Odriozola, so on and so forth. I mean, you you can't tell me that you're not you're not frustrated, and you can't. I mean, I know we talk about Zidane having that security, but I don't know. I feel like if it comes to the end of the season and we get second or third, and like if we fall behind Barcelona and we get third, and we get knocked out of the Champions League at the round of sixteen or the quarterfinals, and we don't win the Copa del Rey, then I don't know. Do you guys think Zidane's job is in jeopardy then if it comes down to what you just described that's a lot worse than where i think the team will end up i think that's bad enough that i don't think they'll continue again we know what sacking zidane the wording is it's not a sack it's like you know it's going to be mutually part of ways that that's the way they'll twist it if it gets that bad then i don't i don't see him surviving that no i mean i just don't think they can be happy with the way some of these some of these young players are being utilized, I, I, there's it's it's throwing money out the door, really. Yeah. I think if it gets that bad, you know, I'm sure the club will have something to say about it. But knowing Zidane, I think he he'll show himself the door. I think Zidane, it has been pretty honest about you know his willingness to kind of take on this project and about his feeling about making it a success and if it's the scenario you describe i think zidane will just walk himself uh, i mean i hope it doesn't come to that i i do have faith in this team to not be lower than barcelona i know they're on a bit of you know a, a run right now messi seems to kind of finding himself again kuman is like making things work with like pedri and stuff like that and formation changes that kian and diego have talked about on chudos y tacticas but hey there's there's a long way to go and i think I, I mean, I still think, you know, Atleti, okay, they're they're in a really good position right now. And assuming they get what they get, they wouldn't be in a strong position. But I don't think Leeds mean as much this season in terms of, like, just, you know, I think all of the top sides are, are weaker than they've been in, in their prime in previous years, quite obviously, around Barcelona. And I, I think a lot of things could change. So, I to me, I, right now, it's not a point to press the panic button in terms of like the end of the season i think there's a lot that can change i still think this team should be expected to win the league that should be our goal i don't think at this point which i'm not which is not what i'm saying you're saying matt but i don't think like we should be looking at this and being like oh well you know second place is kind of the best we can do now right again we compare our squad talent you know even the young players which you know zidane seems to think we can't rely on we compare it to everyone else in the league how many players are we actually swapping for ours are we taking anyone f- from this uh, Osasuna side and putting him in our team right would they even make the bench you know how many how many players are we actually taking from Atletico Madrid and Barcelona right like 
we have a good squad for La Liga. European competition is a different story. And I still expect to see Real Madrid at the top of the table by the end of the season. Um, that was my expectation at the beginning of the season. And I don't think there is much excuse for for, for being 10 points behind Atleti or 14 points behind or whatever by the end of the season. And, you know, we got to find a way to, you know, to uptick it. And if it does come to that point, then, yeah, I just think Zidane's going to walk because I think he too also believes that this this team is title caliber in, in terms of Spanish competition. Well, that that's what I said in the mailbag with Lucas on Thursday too because somebody asked, like, would you be happy with this season if... We won Copa del Rey, but then came second in La Liga or third in La Liga and then Champions League semifinal exit. And I said, like, look, I'm okay with the Champions League semifinal exit. And I know that that's not like a limiting belief defeatist attitude. That's just the Champions League is fucking insane to win. Like, the fact that we won that three years in a row, four out of five, still blows my mind because the amount of bounces that need to go your way all the great teams, the great players, the great managers, every single year, only one comes out on top, and so much needs to go your way every game, back to back. Like you have to, you have to just win against a bunch of good teams, and then win a final. In all these do or die scenarios, high pressure, high stakes, and some like you know, a lot of the greatest managers in the world haven't won a Champions League or have won it once. Like, it just doesn't happen. It's it's likely you don't win it. So, yes, Champions League semifinal appearance, I'm not going to use that as a measuring stick to, to sack a manager or anything. And Copa del Rey, obviously, you know, we just never, we never focus on that. It'd be really nice to win that. But the league, like, to me, there's not really an excuse to, like, just drop this many points in the league. And that, the point that Om brought up is the reason why is that you have a better squad than all these teams you're dropping points against. And we can complain about low blocks and all this. Like, tough luck. Like, figure out a system that breaks down those low blocks consistently because it's not just a matter of, like, you're, it's not that you're having bad luck against these low blocks. It's not like you're going against these low blocks and you're dominating them, coming up with all these chances, and every now and then they get the best of you. It's like, no, every single time this is the same issue. So how can we how can we do this over overhead over again and bang our heads against the wall? To me, that one we need to have really high standards for the league. And already four draws and three losses after eighteen games. That's that's not a that's not a champion. It's not the kind of results a champions champion gets. And maybe that that can get you in a, a league title this season but thank god there is a worthy rival this season atletico is like a proper champion it seems like they're they're playing at such a great level and they finally drop points um like i think it was like f- 5 games ago was it there was like a brief period where like we were in good form and that and there was also that time we beat them and things were kind of looking good but like they just have been locked in for a while now and they're coming away with these last second victories too i don't think you know people wonder if their form is sustainable i think it's going to be sustainable they're knocked out of the copa now and their their depth is pretty decent too so i you know i think they're going to be around so i i uh i think we need to have higher standards in the league for sure was there anything else from brendan's question that you guys wanted to touch on just Militao, like, I, I guess more of a question to pose because I, I mentioned it earlier. I, I get it, like, you know, he he's looked rough, but when do we start to bring him back into the fold, right? Like, 
you know, maybe not necessarily replacing Ramos, pairing him alongside Ramos, even though, you know, in Portugal he was playing left center back. I mean, he's a talented player, right? I don't think you can judge him, you know, on, you know, these sporadic games where he didn't look great. We we have much larger sample sizes where, you know, there was an obvious reason that we went out and bought him. You know, Keon and I have done like a scouting report together on him and we were largely impressed. When do we start getting him back into the side and against what sides? Like the Copa del Rey coming up, okay. But I mean, I'm seriously asking, is that it, right? Does he only get the Copa del Rey appearances and then we just see because, you know, we're talking about youth. We're talking about trying to integrate all these players. But Militao is there, and he's one of the more young, talented center backs in the world. And I'm sure, you know, other teams would have wanted him as well. And Real Madrid went up and picked him. So when when do we start to to give him opportunities, right? If not now, then, you know, is it reasonable to say that he just doesn't get any league starts bar injury and Copa and that's it and he just has to live with that? Yeah, I mean, these are all points that uh, that are worth bringing up. Yeah, at some point you gotta you gotta trust these guys, and like these are to me these are all trustworthy players in some capacity, right? Like it's not like, um, and it's it is it is interesting also just revisiting the Casemiro Cruz Modric debate because they went through literally a couple years of just any time they played together just looked very drab, creativity took a hit, defensively it it wasn't the same as it was. But then they had this string of games during this run where everyone was like, "See, we told you, you can't, you got to trust them." And so it's kind of like a roller coaster to me. I and and you're gonna have the same growing pains. It's not necessarily gonna be better with the young players, but you gotta you gotta roll with these guys at some point, you know, because you're gonna burn your starters out. And by the time you call on these youngsters, they're just not gonna be fresh. So. Then you're then you're going to be unfairly judging. This is basically the Luka Jovic cycle, right? It's it's he just doesn't play for months, comes in, and everyone's like, "This is what you guys wanted to see on the field. You can't do anything." Well, yeah, because he hasn't played in months. So it's like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? You need to give these guys run. You guys need, you need to give these guys burn. Otherwise, you just you don't know what you got with them. Uh, and it's one thing to see them in training. It's another to see them on the field and with match fitness and, and rhythm and stuff. So I'm with you guys. They, these guys need time. These guys need time. Um, all right. We are diving into a question that came in before the podcast. And we really haven't had time to prepare for. And I, I'm not even sure if I know every single question that's about to come at us. But it's a rapid fire. So our patron Varun sends us um, rapid fire questions periodically. And we just hit them. So because, gentlemen, there are 15 questions, the rule is we have to keep every answer to one word. And if you can't think of the answer, just say pass. Otherwise, we'll be here till tomorrow. Okay? So let's do decade awards. This is Varun talking. Let's do decade awards from 2010 to 2020 from all clubs and countries, not only Real Madrid specific. We'll go... Matt and then Om and then and then me, because then I get to hear what you guys say. God, yeah. uh, <laughs> have fun, Matt. Uh, all right. Press resist most press resistant midfielder of the last decade. Cruz. Modric. Cruz. Most nonchalant defender of the last decade. No idea. <laughs> That's two words. You got to say pass. Pass, pass. Uh, Ramos. Uh, 
Most stylish forward of the last decade? Uh, Neymar? Dimitar Berbatov. Kaka. I don't know if he qualifies as forward, I but I don't care. I was the only one who named a forward, but okay. <laughs> well, forward could mean anything. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, sure. I, I, I kind well, of popped out. I started questioning what stylish meant, too. I, I didn't know if that meant like... Like hair? Style as in clothes and hair, mm. yeah. Or like... Neymar actually covers both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a safe answer. <laughs> okay, sure. <clears throat> uh, best team man of the decade, of the last decade. Uh, pass. Park Ji Sung. Ooh, that's a good one. That was like two decades, though. Yeah, uh, he counts in the 2010s, though. Modric. Most underrated player of the last decade. Uh, pass. God, I don't know. I can't think of him fast enough. This isn't the correct answer, but I think I think Modric is is up there. Huh. Carvajal for me. Ooh, that's a good one. Most overrated player of the last decade. Uh Jesus. Most <laughs> overrated. <laughs> you guys go. I, I need time on this. <laughs> Pass. Like I have I've never actually thought about like the most I know overrated players, but not I don't know like who I can say the twenty tens because everyone I think of is like a good player, so pass. Um Pogba. Oh come on. <laughs> uh the goalkeeper is, is Matt is Matt not gonna answer? Oh Matt, sorry. I'm still thinking. Oh, are you gonna answer? No, I said pass. <laughs> um, oof, I could say one that would really upset people. Do it, do it. Gareth Bale. Ooh. Hmm. All right. Well, I'll still pass, but we we have two. We have I two actually think there. he's like accurately rated. I feel like we all recognize it that. Depends on who you ask. It depends on who you ask. I feel like. I think most Real Madrid fans right now would agree with Matt because the feelings are not great. Yeah, but the Real Madrid fans like don't even British, rate him like, at this do you point. Think if you asked like a, the British press before he moved back, then I would say he was probably overrated. I think he was pretty accurately rated, but this is a difficult game. Uh, okay, fine. I, mm-hmm. I have an answer. It's not. It's not the correct one, but I think Drogba is a little overrated. Hmm. I actually. Oh, I guess we're t- mm. we're talking more early two thousands there. Yeah, you're, so you're I'm, going I'm, I'm, stretching, I'm stretching it, but I can't think of anything else at the moment. Yeah, it's, and he's, he was a great player. It's funny because I have I have an answer in my mind ready to go if this was two thousand and two thousand ten. For some reason, that decade is a lot say, easier for me. You fraud! You hater! You're gonna say Zidane. I know it. For what? Most overrated. Yeah. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I I know a lot of people who would, but I wouldn't say him. I'd probably go with like Guti or something. <laughs> Question Which number seven. Enough, more people mad, but go ahead. Who is the goalkeeper with the best ball distribution of the last decade? 
I think Terstegen and Newer. Ederson. Ederson. Really? You guys think Ederson is better than Terstegen and Newer? I think oh, so. I think, Ederson, I think Ederson is better. Wow. I just think some of the passes that Ederson does is like he's like Chavi back there somehow. Now the funny thing about this question <laughs> is too is that all of like all of these the guys you mentioned matter great too. But like a lot of these guys will also go through stretches where it's like how how was this guy a ball playing goalkeeper? Like why do we think he was the greatest? Because they'll go through spells where they're just giving everything away. Ter Sagan included newer and newer has like these weird patches of just giveaways. Ederson has had a couple of those. So, but I I think overall it's Ederson. Uh, I changed my mind. It's it's Courtois. Yeah, Courtois is <laughs> up there. Has to be. Courtois. If we're talking about throwing distribution, is pretty good. Yeah. Who is the goalie with the best acrobatic and clutch moments of the last decade? Uh, I kind of feel like I say the same answer again. Those two Germans. Uh, I I want to say Casillas, but because it focuses on like the acrobatic, I'll I'll go with Titanic when he declined. Who? Yeah, oh, no, well, no, I... that was the World Cup. That was the World Cup. Never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, what are you talking about? Yes, yeah, uh, I'll I'll say I'll say De Gea though. I think especially with the acrobatic and like the clutch stretch in that Jose Mourinho period was like insane. It's one of the greatest goalkeeper seasons we've ever seen. So I think De Gea is a safe bet. I go with Newer. It's he doesn't have like that acrobatic maybe side to him, but nothing like ceases to amaze him more. I I just like the aesthetic. The, uh, the outside of the boot Modric pass like version of that but for goalkeepers is when Newer just sticks his hand and his fist in the air and just saves things point blank. That's my favorite thing, so I'll go with that. Who is the MVP of the last decade? Cristiano Ronaldo. Messi. Ronaldo. Who is the best manager of the last decade? Uh, Pep. I would just say Pep because I think the totality of the stretch is a little more impressive than Klopp, but I think you can argue that Klopp maybe peaked a little higher. Klopp. Who is the luckiest player of the decade? Pass. Pass. <laughs> I've never thought about this ever. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with Serge Busquets. You need to, you need to do that on churros. <laughs> and it's the the explanation is pretty simple. It's that he was a beneficiary of just popping up in the right place at the right time and playing in arguably the greatest team of all time and being really good at what he does in a sp- very system-based thing that suited him perfectly. And I think if he just comes up in any other random era, he's he's not he's not really that important. Who is the unluckiest player of the decade? Uh, Steven Gerrard. Huh. Uh, Usman Dembele. Um, I mean, I don't know. Like, I haven't thought about this much. Easy, but, like, it's recency bias. But to be to have that much talent at such a young age and just be wrecked up until this point by the worst injuries, you know, I, th- I think he's up there. Why did you say Gerrard? I think of the slip, and I think of just hmm. how much Liverpool success they have now, and um, that's kind of been 
That was always he was the unlucky. Egg He's not the it. unluckiest player. I don't know. It just came to me when he, when I thought of unlucky. I thought of the slip. Everyone always talks about the slip. So I'm gonna go with Loris Carius. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Especially because of the shit he took after that. Even though we know that he had a concussion. Yeah. Um, but anyway, best foot football club of the decade. Real Madrid. Real Madrid. Barcelona. No, I'm just kidding. Real Madrid. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Most important moment that happened in football over the last decade that created the biggest impact on you? La Decima. Specifically, Sergio Ramos' header. That was definitely the most, like, euphoric moment, but in terms of impact... I would say like uh, Ronaldo's goal to seal the title in 11 12 because that like made the Copa? Me Real Madrid like, no in 11 12 season um, seal the La Liga title the Kama Kama goal um, oh because mm. that like sealed me as like the hardcore Real Madrid fan for life because like I was a fan up until that point but after that I like watched every single game of the 12-13 season and from then on I was like I'm never gonna miss a single game no excuses you know I'm gonna like get into arguments and debates with my friends and stuff like that and all that so like in terms of like influence over me I think that has to be the one but I think in terms of like what's your favorite moment every single person is going to say the La Decima moment yeah, I mean, I was trying to, like, get hipster with this and say something else, but it's it's the Sergio Ramos moment, and it's not really close, so just going to say that. Um, the last one. Finally, rate the following six players through personal choice. Not who was the greatest, but through your personal choice. So the six players are Cristiano Ronaldo, Ronaldo Nazario, Zinedine Zidane, Lionel Messi, Pele, and Maradona. I don't like I I don't like having to uh, rank Pele and Maradona because I haven't seen enough of, enough of their matches. So I'm gonna exclude them. I'm gonna do Messi one, Ronaldo CR seven two, uh, Ronaldo <laughs> Nazario three, Zidane four. Yes, wait, wait. I don't know what. Do you, are you are you ranking them in opposite order? Wait, what? What was it? What what was it asking us? <laughs> Wait, what? So you ranked your favorite players in order: Messi. Oh my! Oh, it's my <laughs> personal favorite. I thought I was just asking, like, what's who who are the best? Okay, my personal favorite, um, probably Zidane one. Uh, well, it's just the reverse two, order, isn't it? Oh, not necessarily, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, 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 I'm kind of like stuck between Ronaldo Nazario and Cristiano, but yeah, it would be the reverse order. Yeah, I don't really know what personal choice means because it doesn't actually say like who you like. It just says personal choice. So I'm just gonna rank them as like career value in total, um, which is Messi, CR7, um, Pele, Maradona, uh, Ronaldo, and then Zidane. I'll actually just answer it in like in terms of who who struck a chord with me emotionally and like who I connected more with as a fan in in order it that way. Messi. So Zidane one, Cristiano Ronaldo two, Ronaldo Nazario three, 
And I mean, the last three, like, I don't really have a preference either way, but I'll go Messi and then Maradona and then Pele. But like Matt, I don't really have a, a real opinion on either Pele or Maradona. Like, it just, it, it was too, too much, too, too far behind my time. And Maradona's hand of God goals and stuff, that was, that happened before I was born, literally. So I, I don't have much of an opinion on that. But, um, I will say with Messi, do you guys find it just that that heated rivalry with Barcelona and Messi? It's just to me, it's just completely evaporated at this point. It's gone. It's like there's no like I don't I don't have anything against Messi like at all. Like I just it's just like another player to me that is really good. But I don't. It's just that the Clasico, the heat of the Clasico is is it's just settled. It's it's gone. And I don't know when it's going to come back, but it doesn't feel like it's just there anymore. Too many important players have left both clubs for it to be this heated thing now. So, like, I have no problem ranking Messi a certain way. You know what I mean? Am I making sense? No. I, I hate Messi. <laughs> like, I mean, it's it's always going to be that way. Like, you know, as much for the fact that I think his, like, beautiful character or whatever is overrated, but his his fans are fucking unbearable. Like, this idea that the most celebrated football sports person in the history of sports is constantly underrated and never given his due is just like the most insufferable thing you can ever endure. And for that reason alone, bar any of the other reasons I, I can never like him because like, it's, it's so incredibly annoying. Like, Oh yeah, Messi is legit the most underrated player in world football. If you ask these questions to a Barcelona fan with a straight face, they're going to tell you Messi is the most underrated player in the history of the game. Like I, can't talk to these people i don't look like messi as f messi fc is its own thing that that is an insufferable sufferable fan base i don't think ronaldo's fan base is any better than that but i guess i'm just separating the fans aside from this but like him like I, i don't know i just there's nothing really like right now there's not much inherently about barcelona that i hate maybe it's because their their board is so bad and they've just and that has affected their their ability on the pitch but you know it's not like it's 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 just it's one just one thing i will now. say is i will side with Messi. i've sided with messi versus the uh him versus the board um so i guess that might soften your image to him but like i side with him because i want him to leave and so he can stop bothering <laughs> us i mean the other thing with messi is just like the drama of him that like the dude has tantrums all the time. Like he quits, like he's the only player that can quit the national team. And everyone is like, Oh, poor Messi. He's, you know, entitled to always playing with the greatest players of all time. You know, no one else has ever had to suffer this. Right. Like, yeah, I mean, sure. The team was a mess, but like he'll throw that tantrum and then come back even a little bit with the Barcelona thing with some of that. But this, I kind of more get um, because like he's, you know, he, he was kind of holding on for a bit. But, you know, he does that. He he has, you know, if he has things in the dressing room where he has, like, a, a level of control that people never talk about. It's always Ronaldo. It's always Ramos. And no one talks about how Messi basically decides, you know, how anything is going to happen within the dressing room more than anyone else. Like, he, he's not a devil. He's not an evil person or anything. He's, he's But he clearly has a large ego. He clearly believes he's the most important person in the world. And... You know, in that sense, like, I don't find him that eminently likable. Plus, he, he is the best player 
of the of my most hated team of all time. So like I just can't ever really get on board to being like Messi will be someone I like. Though I have come to terms with the fact for a long time now that his quality is undeniable, and so I think he's the greatest player of all time. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm kind of in the same boat there. Um, I I just think in terms of whether or not the Clasicos have um maybe maybe that fire is not there as much anymore. I think sometimes a lot of it does have to do with like how well Messi's playing. Like because I felt like this obviously without the fans and then Messi wasn't playing that well in the beginning of the season here this year, it, the Clasico felt really subdued. But I think back to the March Clasico, like when Marcelo made that tackle and got the crowd g'd up. Yeah, and that was a good one. Casemiro had some Casemiro had some really good tackles on Messi in that game, and like the Santiago Bernabeu was really revved up. Like Carvajal was that, incredible that I, game too. Yeah, Carvajal. Like I feel like that game, it, it it kind of felt like it came back. So I don't know. I don't know. I think it just kind of it. It's probably not like every Clasico like it used to be, but yeah, I I still think it's there. My favorite part of Let me this. Ask you guys one last thing. Yeah, go ahead. When Messi lost that Copa America, when he missed the penalty, mm-hmm. and there was a picture of him crying, did the vindictive side of you not enjoy that at least a little bit? Or were you just like, whatever, I don't care, or I feel sorry for him? Oh, of co- of course. No, that there's enough credit in the bank to hate Barca forever. Like Even if they literally just turn into this entity of perfection and like they save the earth from aliens and everything they have enough shitty things in the bank that they that they just they will forever have that there's going to be enough there to just be like i'm i am just happy you guys are suffering there's no question and i when messi in particular people some there are there are like some people who like prominent people who are not even barcelona fans who genuinely think like it's it's crazy that ronaldo even gets compared to him and i'm just saying like it's been proven over the past few years. If you want to win like a Champions League do or die game, like the stakes are at their highest, just look at who's who actually shows up and who doesn't. I'm always going to take Ronaldo over him in that situation. And I don't think that's crazy at all. And anytime Messi just doesn't show up in a knockout game, it's just further... I don't know if vindication is the right word, like because like who am I? But like there's certainly an element of like he just... He, the body language, the leadership, it's its not there. And because of, you know, especially th- it, the way it was kind of painted for us in the Moo versus Pep era where it was like Barcelona are these good good Samaritans at football and then, you know, Real Madrid were this evil entity of flying slide tackles and red cards and hotheads and and all this, and they, they, they took this stance of, like, fake moral superiority, and anything Messi did didn't, didn't matter because he was Messi, and anything Ronaldo did was, like, magnified for some reason because of the narrative and the agenda. So as years progressed and, like, Barcelona kept on losing these layers of paints off their engine, and and Real Madrid just became really, really good, it was just nice to see that arc kind of shift and and so that people could actually see what was actually happening. So, yeah, I will really always enjoy that. Got this, this messy slander portion, and I don't think I've actually ever got a chance to do that on this podcast. Last thing I will say, which another underrated thing, Messi will say things to the ref. He will make certain challenges 
that he just gets away with um, only because he's messy. And it's only gotten more frequent with time, especially to start the beginning of the season. Some nasty challenges, some clearly saying some pretty bad things to the ref where, you know, he just it's a yellow card instead of a straight red. I won't say that's only messy because Ronaldo has, has kind of a history of lashing out with challenges and stuff like that, but it's basically almost only the kind of thing that Messi could get away with. I think for me, what what irked me the most about all of that, going back to all the way to the, the Moo versus Pep era, was like, so there were two two instances that were kind of close to each other in terms of the relative like classical history. So in the Manita at the Camp Nou, that instance where Pep is kind of like holding the ball from Ronaldo, Ronaldo kind of pushes him, remember that? And the whole, and Barcelona just lose their shit. They start, like, Valdez comes flying from his net. And then, like, in a, in a subsequent Classico, the, at the Bernabeu, Messi just boots the ball at an old man at the Bernabeu. Do you guys remember that? Yeah, I think we all remember that. Wait, was that, that was, like... I think I might have been at that one. Was that the 2017? No, no, no. This like oh, you mean the 2011? 2011, oh, I think wow. it was. Yeah, and just like I remember that. I remember that. The double standards of like those two moments and like who got shit and who didn't. That 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 always bothered me. It's like this guy is he's not above anyone. Like he's not he's not he's not this moral superior figure. Um. Anyways, I I think this is going off the rails, but. um and yeah i'll take responsibility for this one but it had to actually had a proper messy slander segment to the podcast we can't call ourselves a real madrid podcast until we do that so here here you go um there it is well thank god because we had nearly ended a a post-game podcast about a draw away to Osasuna with Om saying Messi is the greatest player of all time. And that's exactly what fans <laughs> needed to end this podcast with. That that message. That little reassurance. And holy shit. It's almost two hours now, by the way. And I, I think we spent like 25 minutes of it talking about Messi. But... <laughs> Again, if you're still here and you're not a patron, what are you what are you doing? Like, just dish up the $3. <laughs> there's more of this. Like, there's more. The rapid hole goes deeper. <laughs> Let's do patron shoutouts if you guys are done. Um, Ten dollars if you pledge ten dollars more, you get a specific shoutout on the podcast. So shout out to Phoenix, Brandon Alvarez, G Wolf ninety four, S A Davisito, Willie Reed, Way Pairing, Tyler Simon, Tyler Dixon, Tobias Arroyo, Arroyo Botcher, Tahmid Kalam, Rovi Tagiev, Sujai Wani, Somanchu Singh, Shabazz Sharapov, Sergio Arispe. Santos Lorozano, Said Mahad, Saad Omar, Raul Gutierrez, Raga Potlery, Nick Ribeiro, Nick Lar, Muxi Thangal, Mowgli, Michael, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Martin Ridman, Magnus Lex, MJ Diego, Michael Cruchon, Leon Stavernakis, Kunal Tilakar, Kevin Rivera, Karen Scherer, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, Graham Gerard, Gary Kohut, Frederick Rantakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, Eric Rogers, Eloy Enriquez, Daniel Williams, Christian Toft, Christian Gonzalez, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brennan Powers, Brennan Stevens, Austin Fiori Erdman, Ashik Bashar, Anthony Lombardi, Anirud Singh, Alexis Seniceros, Adam Dorsey, Al Varun, Fabian Moreno, Philip Hammer. Thank you guys so much for your support. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Om. Till next time. Hala Madrid. Hala Madrid.